Uh, join me as we <clears throat> take this last passage of the book of Romans, which has been a great adventure. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what's good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Jesus under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as does Lucius, Jason, and Sopater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now, to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Vern. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you that you have stepped into our world. We would be utterly confused and lost without your revelation, your becoming one of us in Jesus, and then your sending the word to reveal reality to us. Now let your word penetrate our lives, Lord. Use it. To change us, we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. A week ago Monday, on May 12th, there was a massive earthquake in China. 7.9 on the Richter scale. Entire villages were completely flattened. They're saying now there's over 80,000 that were killed and maybe more. As they're continuing to search villages, I heard the story of a high school with a thousand kids in it that when they finally found it, it was completely flattened. The rubble was two feet high. Everyone killed. It's clear that it, all of these buildings were not made to withstand earthquakes. They weren't constructed in a way to handle those kinds of things, to handle the swaying of the earth, the shaking of the ground. And therefore, they collapsed. I'm afraid many of our Christian lives are not built in a way to withstand the earthquakes that come our way. The inevitable earthquakes of life, whether they're the sudden trials of a death or an illness, a word from the doctor that you have cancer or some other terrible disease or a financial disaster that hits you. 
a sudden loss in a relationship, a divorce or a conflict or something. But the truth is, life is full of earthquakes. Life is full of difficulties. Life is full of trials. And beyond all that, many Christians throughout history have experienced incredibly painful persecution from the world around them. Now, we've been spared from that up to this point. But I'm convinced that persecution for Christians in America is not far off. And if that's true, and if we all face earthquakes of some kind, then the question really becomes, how can we earthquake-proof our lives? Now remember, to be earthquake-proof, if you make a building earthquake-proof, it doesn't mean you avoid earthquakes. You can't. But to be earthquake-proof as a building means that when the earthquakes come, you're able to handle the swaying and the shaking and continue to stand. So that's really the question. We can't avoid earthquakes in our lives and struggles and trials and pain. But the question is, how can we be earthquake-proof so that when they come, we can continue to stand? Last summer, our family went and visited Nick Armstrong and his ministry in Indonesia. And part of his ministry is relief work. We went and visited a site near Jakarta, where there's a village that was completely flattened by a major earthquake a couple years ago. And as he came in with his relief agency, they began to rebuild these homes. These homes had been built out of brick and mud. And so when the swaying came, they just fell apart. So his relief agency came in, and they were using the exact same bricks to rebuild But you know what? Something was different. For one, they built new foundations that were solid and strong and could withstand the earthquakes. And then secondly, there was rebar going up through the bricks so that when the earthquake comes, it'll all be held together and be able to continue to stand. What will keep our lives strong when the quakes of life come? Well, we've had quite a ride through the book of Romans. I hope it's been as life-changing for you as it has been for me. Incredible truths in this most theological of books. And Paul ends his book with some personal notes and I think with some personal challenges. I believe here at the end of the book, his heart really is to say, okay, how can I end this book in a way that will challenge you, that will encourage you to stand strong in whatever earthquakes you'll face. And I think Paul knew that earthquakes were coming to this Roman church. In fact, this book was written probably in 57 AD. The emperor who had just become emperor within the last couple of years was Nero. At this point, he had not yet started his massive persecutions of Christians, but it was soon to come. And in fact, Paul himself was beheaded by Nero in Rome nine years after this book was written, about A.D. 66. So the earthquakes were coming. Paul knew it. He wanted to prepare them. And as we look through this passage, as he ends this book, hopefully we can gain some understanding as to how our lives can become earthquake-proof, how we can face 
the challenges that are sure to come our way. So let's look at four challenges I see in this passage. The first is watch out for division. Watch out for division. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 16. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Now, many of you have bought homes. When you buy a home, you're required to have an inspection. And one of the things that you inspect most closely is the foundation, right? You want to check and make sure that foundation is strong, that there's no major cracks or shifting in the foundation, because if there are, you know that house is not going to last real long. When Jeannie and I were first married, we lived in a cottage, wonderful little cottage in the middle of an apricot orchard. It's a beautiful place. And all the floors sloped different directions. Underneath, it was held up by four-by-fours, but they were not very well cemented into the ground. And therefore, the house didn't hold up very well, and not long after we moved out, it had to be torn down. You see, what most destroys the strength of the church is division, so Paul begins there. Watch out for division. Look for cracks. Don't let cracks come between you. Don't let division come. Don't let yourself be divided in the body of Christ. Because when we get divided, we don't have the strength to handle the quakes that come into our lives. We end up fighting one another instead of fighting Satan, who's out to destroy us. And Satan's ploy, his task, his means of trying to undermine us and destroy us is as old as the hills. It's the same ploy that he's been using since way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Remember that story? Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruits of the tree of the garden, but God did say you shall not eat from the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. She added that. God never said that. Or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice Satan's ploy. What he wants to do is drive a barrier of mistrust in relationships. And he wants to twist the truth so that we're no longer standing on the truth. That's what he did with Eve there, didn't he? He said, did God really say that? Is that really what's true? Did God say you won't die? That's not true. You, or that you will die? You won't die. So he twists the truth. Essentially what he's saying is, can you really trust God? God's holding out on you. He knows you'll understand good and evil. You'll be like him. And he's holding out because he doesn't want you to be like him. 
That's Satan's ploy always, to build mistrust in relationships and to twist the truth just enough. Now, the truth is, they did die, didn't they? Immediately, they died spiritually. And death was brought into the world, so every human being born since then, except for Elijah, who was taken to heaven, has died. We die. God was right. But Satan's ploy is to create this mistrust and a twisting of the truth. And so it's so easy for us to fall into Satan's trap. And so we in the church begin to criticize one another. We begin to mistrust each other. We believe lies and the truth gets twisted. We begin to talk about people rather than to them if we have a problem. Problems will come. Relational difficulties happen because we're fallen creatures. But do we go to people and work it out so that our relationship is stronger or do we talk behind the scenes and create division? That is what Satan tries to do. So how do we avoid this? How can we watch out for division? Well, I think this passage suggests some things. It says, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. Look out for people who bring division in relationships. Are they making people choose sides? Look out for people that are making, pointing fingers at others and are making you choose sides that create this wedge between you and other people. And watch out for people, it says, that use smooth talk and flattery to deceive the minds of naive people. Look out for the kind of people that come and they flatter you. They try to make you feel good, but what happens is you feel like they're really out for their own ends. It's not really for your sake. They're twisting things so that they can get something from you. You can sense the insincerity. Don't give a divisive spirit a foothold in your own heart, in your own life, I think Paul's suggesting. And don't let it happen in your body either. He says... Notice, he doesn't say correct them. He doesn't say argue with them. He just says, turn away from them. Avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. And we've had people come to Cole that we've had to ask to leave because they were trying to be divisive and lead people into false teaching. So I think we need to watch out for divisive people. Secondly, we need to watch out for false teaching. And John Sott suggests three tests for us to tell if teaching is biblical, if it's right. Three tests to avoid false teaching. First of all, does it agree with Scripture, whatever is being taught? And I hope you use these tests with my teaching, with Rod's teaching, with whoever you're hearing teach the Word. Does it agree with Scripture? As well as you understand it, as far as you can tell, is it truly from the Bible? Secondly, does it glorify the Lord Jesus? Verse 18 says, Such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Does it glorify Jesus? Does it point to Him? Does it exalt Him and lift Him up? Or does it exalt the person who's speaking or a group or something else? If so, it's not from God. And then thirdly, does it promote goodness? Verse 19, Everyone's heard about your obedience. So I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Does it promote goodness? Does it promote and encourage people to follow the Lord and do what's right and they learn to love each other better and they learn to do what's right? 
Or does it create more anger and resentment and division? And then in verse 20, Paul ends this little section this way, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The truth is Satan will always try to create division in the church and too often we have given into it. He'll always try to make the church weak so we can't handle the earthquakes that come. But the good news is the Lord will crush Satan. He's more powerful. He's in charge. We don't have to try to fight Satan. We just seek to be strong in the Lord and ultimately trust God to defeat him. And he will. He has promised to do that. So our first challenge is to watch out for division. Just don't give it a place in your life, in your heart, in your family, or in your body of Christ. Secondly, if we want to be strong and earthquake-proof, we need to strengthen Christian friendships. Strengthen Christian friendships. Paul goes on in verse uh, 21 to talk about some people, to give greetings from certain people that are close to him. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Tertius was clearly the one that Paul dictated the letter to. And Tertius wrote it down. Tertius means third. That was his name. He must have been the third kid in his family. Parents weren't very creative about names. <laughs> Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Gaius was a good friend of Paul's, and he'd experienced hospitality. Erastus, who is the city's director of public's work, public works, writing from Corinth, a great leader in the, in, the, in the community was also a Christian. And our brother Quartus sends you their greetings. Quartus means fourth. Now, we don't know if Tertius and Quartus were brothers, but, you know, these are names you might want to use for your kids sometime. <laughs> you know, hey, third, come do the dishes. <laughs> fourth. They might have even been brothers. We don't know. But... Notice he focuses first on Timothy, my fellow worker. Timothy was Paul's closest and dearest friend throughout years of ministry. Paul led him to the Lord on his first missionary journey. On his second missionary journey, he picked him up. He took him with him. He traveled around. He trusted Timothy. He put him in a church in Ephesus to try to strengthen it after Paul had left. And at the last book, that Paul wrote. He wrote actually two letters to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was the last book he wrote before he was executed by Nero. And at the end of the book, he says this, chapter 4, verse 9 of 2 Timothy. Knowing he's about to be executed, Paul writes, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Then down in verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul's trapped in a Roman prison and he's cold. So he asks Timothy, to bring his cloak. He's bored, maybe. So he asked him to bring his parchments, the scrolls, and especially the parchments. 
and he's lonely. So he asked Timothy to please come. They had a close, intimate relationship for many years of ministry together. Their lives were intertwined, interwoven in a way that there was strength, even though Paul was about to face the end of his life, his own execution. He was relying on Timothy at this point for strength. You see, all this, I think, is a great reminder to us that we need to have strong Christian friendships if we are to be strong in the Lord and handle the earthquakes that come our ways. Paul needed Timothy when the earthquakes came, and we need one another. But let me say, we're not talking about friends who are Christians. I don't think that's what Paul's getting at. We don't just need friends that are Christians. We need Christian friendships. What's the difference? Well, a lot of us have friends that are Christians. We have friends who know the Lord and we hang out together and do things together and have fun together. But a true Christian friendship is one where Jesus is the center of the relationship. We need Christian friendships, not just friends that are Christians. We need relationships that are centered on the Lord to where we encourage one another in Christ, where we talk about the Lord together, where we read the Word together, where we talk about the Bible together, where we encourage each other in our walks, where we pray for each other, where you know that person's praying for you regularly and you have regular contact and it encourages you in your walk with the Lord. Let me encourage you to think about your friendships right now. Do you have friends like that, that you get together with regularly? You see, if you want to be strong in the Lord, that's what it takes. Christian friendships, not just friends that are Christians. To go back to our analogy of building these buildings in Yogyakarta, Indonesia, and these buildings that Nick Armstrong and his relief agency were building, the rebar goes right up through the bricks so that as earthquakes come, what holds them together, it's the same material that fell down before, but what holds them together is the connections, the rebar that connects these bricks. And what's going to see you through the hard times is the strength of your Christian friendships as you face difficult times. And many of you have, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have experienced the body of Christ supporting you and upholding you and keeping you strong in the midst of terribly difficult times. That's how the body of Christ is meant to work. It's our connections that keeps us strong. The third challenge I see in this passage as to how we can become earthquake-proof is to build our life on the Word. Paul gives a final charge, a final blessing to God in verses 25 through 27. But he uses this blessing to remind them of the power of the Word, of the importance of it. And in this last little blessing, in a sense, he is summarizing the entire book of Romans, the gospel, the truth of it. Listen to what he says and listen to his references of truth, gospel, proclamation, revelation, the mystery, the writings, the command of God. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel... And the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God 
so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now when you build a house, where do you begin? With the foundation, right? The foundation has to be strong. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Is your foundation strong? Are you building your life on the foundation of the Word? Are you really digging down? Because so many of our lives tend to be built on just opinion or what we think. But are we really learning to build on the solid foundation of the Word? Do we dig down until we hit firm support? Our firm support, it says, is the revelation from God. This world does not teach us truth. There's truth out there, but we don't understand it. We can't see it clearly without God revealing reality to us. And that's what he's done through sending Jesus and through giving us the revelation of the word. And it says this is the revelation. It's a mystery, the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the scriptures. What is the mystery? Well, it's a mystery that he's talked about through the book of Romans, but he clarifies, I think, specifically what it is in the book of Colossians. Paul does as he writes this in verse in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Okay, Paul, you're talking about it, but what is it? <laughs> What's the mystery? He says this, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the gospel is far more than just Jesus came, he died for us, my sins are forgiven, and now I'm just waiting for heaven. It's far more than that. In fact, the mystery is that Jesus himself rose again, is alive, and now wants to live in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the great mystery. And that's the challenge for us, is to build our lives on the truth of that and learn to let him live his life through us. And it's as explained in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that he wants to live through us, that he's alive. So how can we stand firm on the word? How can we dig deep so we can withstand the earthquakes that we all will face? Well, three things I see in this passage. First, it's a revelation that must be known. First, you need to know the word. You've got to know it, folks. That takes reading it, studying it, hearing it taught, seeking to understand it. To have the kind of heart that the Bereans had in Acts chapter 17, 10 and 11, where it says they were more noble than the Thessalonican Jews because they searched diligently to see if the things being taught were true. Search diligently for yourself. Don't just accept what I say. But search and say, is this scriptural? Is this biblical? Is it true? You've got to know it for yourself. Secondly, if you really want to build your life on the foundation of the word, you need to proclaim it. It's a proclamation, Paul says, of Jesus Christ. It needs to be revealed. 
We need to declare it. You know, I I knew a lot of truth. I knew a lot of the Bible, but I found that I didn't really build my life on it until I began telling others about it, proclaiming it to others. You see, if it's all in here and you haven't begun to proclaim it, then you haven't really built your life on it, stood on the reality of it. But when you have to put it into words to other people and say, this is the truth, God's revealed himself and Jesus has died for you and you begin to tell others the truth and you proclaim it and he wants to live inside you. You see, when you proclaim it, suddenly it becomes a reality that you are standing on yourself. And then third, if you want to build your life on the word, you need to obey it. Obey it. Notice verse 19, everyone, Paul says, has heard about your obedience, writing to the Romans. Verse 26, the word's been revealed, made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey it. So if you want to build your life on the word, you have to obey it. It can't just be knowledge, but it needs to be something where you're learning to say, I want to live this out. But notice it's according to the mystery. It isn't, okay, I better work hard to do it now. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to to go out and live this out because you'll end up living under the law and frustration. And Paul in the book of Romans has said, well, don't live by law. That'll kill you. (laughs) No, he says, live by the Spirit. Live by the mystery. Obey it, but obey it in a way where you're letting the life of Christ flow forth. Let me just give you an example. Throughout the Bible, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Over and over again. Love one another. We're called to that. But you say, okay, I'm going to work hard to go find somebody to love, and I'm going to be really loving to them. (laughs) Probably won't work very well. I've tried that. (laughs) Or do you say, Wow, Lord, the truth is, the mystery is that you're in me. So, Lord, who do you want to love through me today? You're in me. Who do you want to love through me? Open my eyes, and, Lord, help me rest in you, and I'll obey, I'll do what you want me to, but love others through me. Ultimately, it has to be you in me, because I can't do it on my own. You see, that's obeying by the mystery. Life of Christ in us. Christian friendships are the rebar that hold us together. The Word is our foundation. But if we want to be strong for the earthquakes, there's one more challenge I see in this passage, and that is that we need to trust in God's character. You know, as a house is being built, you can make a lot of decisions and all, but ultimately... To trust that that house is going to withstand the earthquakes, you have to trust in the builder, don't you? At some point, you have to trust in the builder. I've talked to a number of young people recently, had several discussions, who are really struggling with God. They're struggling to make the faith their own. And the kinds of questions they're asking are things like, is God really trustworthy? Is God really good? The world just seems like such a mess, and, and, you know, there's hurting people, and how could God let that happen? And how could God 
allow some people to go to hell and others to go to heaven? How can he even make that distinction? We're not any better than they are. And they're struggling with, is God fair? Is God really good? Is God really trustworthy? Can I trust him or not? You know, those are great questions. They're hard to answer. But part of the problem is, you see, we want to trust that God will do for us what we think he should. So our trust is in circumstances and what we think God will do rather than in his character. We want God to protect us from the earthquakes. And God's never promised to protect us from the earthquakes. What he's promised is to be our strength in the midst of them and to get us through them by his strength and his power. We cannot trust that he'll protect us from the earthquakes, but we can trust in his character. And that's the bottom line for us. If we are going to be strong in the earthquakes that come, we have to learn to trust in God's character, even when the world does not make sense and we can't figure out why God is doing what he is doing and it seems so unfair. I have some dear friends that have lost children. And it makes no sense. Dear friends who have lost parents way too young, and it just, I don't get it. I don't understand. I've had dear friends who have fought terrible diseases that have caused them to deteriorate over the years. The terrible pain of that. People who have experienced awful abuse that I've known really well. Divorces that have suddenly come upon people and their hearts are broken, and on and on, on and on. You see, there's so much about life that we don't understand. And if we're trusting that God's going to make everything good and avoid the earthquakes, then we will not stand firm. But if we're trusting that God is in it and will see us through and give us what we need to be strong through it because of his character, and we learn to trust in his character rather than doing what we think he should, then we can learn to be strong. There's several references to God's character in this passage. We could talk about many other passages, but just in this passage that I want to highlight for you. Notice, for example, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God is a God of peace. That's a word shalom, the Hebrew word, that means wholeness, healing. God is a God of healing. That no matter what what comes our way, He is a God who loves to make us whole in our souls, in our hearts. Even as sometimes He lets our physical body deteriorate. He leads, He's a God of peace, of wholeness. He brings healing to lives when we open up ourselves to Him. Then later in the verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He is a God of grace who constantly gives us what we don't deserve, his goodness, his love, his relationship, his spirit, his forgiveness, though we don't deserve it. He is a God of grace. God's, a little acronym, God's resources at Christ's expense. Grace. He gives us his resources to get through the earthquakes. He gives us his love. He loves to pour his grace on us. 
even though what we really deserve is hell. But he gives us life. He's a God of grace, and we can count on that always. Third, he's a God of power. Verse 25, now to him who is able... The Greek word there is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. He is powerful, literally. He is powerful to establish you by my gospel. He is a God of power. He is able to give us what we need. He's able to sustain us, to protect us from things that are too much for us to take. He is strong enough to give us what we need to get through the earthquakes that come. He is powerful. And he uses that power for our good. We can count on that even when we're unsure about what he's doing. And even though sometimes, like in verse 20, where it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's powerful. He can defeat Satan at any moment. But sometimes he delays that power, doesn't he? (laughs) Wait a minute. Why soon? Why can't you do it now? Because of his next characteristic. The last verse in this whole book of Romans says this, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. He is the God of wisdom. He is wise. Which means that He sees everything. He knows what's best for us even when we don't. He is the only wise God. Now that's hard for us, but... You know, back in Romans 8 where he talked about we become his children, he adopts us in and he's our father, so we learn to cry out, Abba, Father. That's a wonderful reminder to us that like a father with little children, you know, as you raise your kids, if you've had children, there's a lot of things you've had to make them do that they didn't like, that didn't make sense to them, that didn't seem best to them. But you saw a bigger picture. And you knew what was best, and so you made them do things that at times they didn't want to do. Or to use another analogy, we're like sheep. Scriptures say that. We're like sheep who maybe want to stay cooped up in their little pen because it's nice and warm and comfortable there. And the shepherd drives them out, and they've got to go over rocky hills and paths, and you're thinking, whoa, what in the world are you doing? I liked it back there. But that's how you get to the best grass. That's how you get to the best feeding. That's how you get healthy and strong. Or maybe he drives you out of the, the pen because there's a flood coming and he's trying to save your life. And you just are mad because you're not back in the pen. You see, so to trust in his wisdom is to say, it doesn't make sense to me why you're doing what you're doing, God, but I trust that you're all wise. And therefore, I can trust in your character. You're a God of peace. You're a God of grace. You're a God of power. You're a God of wisdom. And therefore, I can trust in your character rather than in my circumstances. You see the difference? That will allow you to stand strong no matter what earthquakes come. God is the one who establishes us and makes us strong. But we can help in the process by avoiding division Turn away from it. By having strong Christian friendships, by building our lives on the Word, and by trusting in His character. And folks, the greatest encouragement we have to trust in His character 
The way we know that he is good and loving and kind, even when circumstances don't seem to show it, is the cross. If God would send his son to die for us, to suffer separation from him for our sake, to take away our sins and to allow him to begin to live in us, then we can know, no matter what earthquakes come our way, that he is for us, that he is good, that he is powerful, that he is loving. And so we want to celebrate the cross now. We want to take communion together to celebrate what he has done for us, to remind us to trust in his character. If he would die for us to bring us eternal life and bring his kingdom to earth, then we can trust that whatever he brings us is for our best. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion together. Lord, thank you for this incredible book of Romans where you've revealed yourself in such a powerful way. And Lord, as we face earthquakes in our life, help us to remember how good you are, how loving. Help us to trust in your character and help us to keep our eyes on the cross, which reminds us that no matter what's going on, what earthquakes we face, you are good, you are loving, you are powerful, and you are just. So we thank you. Help us celebrate the cross now together as the body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.